0: All right, good morning. I told the, uh, the last group, man, I love Malachi. It's, it's like one of those books that you'll never read on your own. because You'll always go to like, the Gospels or read something else, but Malachi is really good. It was One of the things that I was sharing before was uh, Malachi convicted me in so many ways because the way that God was addressing the people... I felt like he was addressing me, because what he was saying was, it's always a heart issue. You remember when Brian kicked off the sermon, one of the things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Brian day, when Brian kicked off the sermon, um, one of the things that he said was uh, that God was saying was, I have loved you. And the people said, how, do you, how have you loved us? There's always a disconnect between how God loves us and how we see that love. And then what he goes on to do, and what we've been really reading through in the book of Malachi, and you know, the sermon series is called A Conversation with God, but literally these people are having a conversation with God. God is saying to them, look at the ways that I've loved you, and look how you've responded to me. Your heart is not in it at all. And then the first week that we saw after the first the first sermon, he was showing polluted offerings. He was like, you bring to me your worst offerings. I called you to bring unblemished, perfect animals because it was foreshadowing what Christ was to do on the cross and you're bringing me your worst. You're bringing me the worst of the bunch that you have right here. Well, you say, How does the offering relate to God's love? The reason for the offering was not the offering in itself. The reason for the offering because he was trying to break down the wall between man and himself was in a relationship. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. But your sin is what separates us. So he was showing that. And when it comes to your heart, you're bringing your worst to come to me. And then as we saw last week, he says, you show no awe and respect for my name. You have no awe and respect. And how does that show itself? Well, the Levite, the priests, the priests were the ones who were supposed to do these offerings and stand on behalf of the people. They were turning away from the covenant, which literally was about life and peace. What God was saying is, you come to me in relationship and I will give you life, true life and peace. And as priests, what you're called to do is teach people my word, live righteously, turn people away from their iniquity. And you're not even doing it. You don't even take it seriously enough to do that. Where do we see God's love in that? God is saying, you want true life and peace, the very thing that you were created for, the very thing that you desire in your life comes through me, and you're not even doing what I've called you and I've asked you to do to find it. And now we move again where Malachi, speaking on behalf of God, God speaking through Malachi gives us another example, and we see that in marriage. I look at this scripture right here and it reminds me a lot of like a midlife crisis. When you guys think about a midlife crisis, what do you think about? You think of like the movies that showed a guy in his 50s buying a new sports car, you know, wants to relive the days of old, and in some cases may get rid of his wife and go and find another young woman, you know, or it could be, it could be vice versa, right? That's what we often think of like midlife crisis. I was telling the first group, I'm like, I actually went through a midlife crisis of my own, even before I was married, because I was married a little bit later in life. My midlife crisis was that I went and bought a ton of shirts that had like the wings on the back. You remember the word, like the, the Ed Hardy type shirts, right? So I'm trying to wear these shirts, and my wife quickly stopped that and went through my closet and purged anything that had a wing or remotely resembled a wing on it. So I kind of went through my own midlife crisis. But what we're seeing in the Scripture today is something that resembles that. And what I want to look at specifically is how God's love is exemplified in the covenant of marriage. That when we see this covenant of marriage, what we see is God's heart and His love for us through that. And what I want us to walk away with was why God takes marriage covenant so seriously, because it reflects him. So you guys, let's let's start off with some prayer this morning, and we're going to dig into Malachi a little further. Heavenly Father, Lord, please prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning, God. Oftentimes, whenever we hear a sermon about marriage, God, we think it's Address specifically to people who are married but that's not true god your word is relevant to everyone lord we pray that you would use this word to speak to each of us individually what is it that you want to say through your word this morning father pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds lord to respond to you and to ask how do we live this in our lives lord that we don't just hear the word but we also ask how do i live this out lord because you've called us to through your word In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Guys, we're going to look at uh, Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. So Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. And I want to start off um, just by reading verse 10 to start off. So it says this, verse 10. And this is Malachi speaking. Now, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What Malachi is saying right here to start off, he's trying to start off big. And what he's trying to tell the people is, have we all not one God? We were all created in the image of one God. And specifically the people of Israel, we have all been called to be in covenant relationship with that one God. Literally what he's saying is God has chosen us to be married to himself in a covenant relationship. Out of all the peoples of the earth, God has called specifically. They didn't choose God. God has chosen them. And what he's saying is as those who have been called to be in covenant relationship with God, to be in community together with God, why are we treating each other this way? Why are we profaning the covenant of our fathers? Literally, think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, he said the same thing to those during his time. What he says is, if you love one another, then people will see that you are my disciples. That's the idea of being in a covenant relationship with God, and that should affect the way that we treat one another in a covenant relationship with each other. And that's where he starts off By speaking to them. And what he's saying is we are being faithless to one another. The Hebrew word is bagat. It literally means we are acting violently. We are faithlessly toward one another. And we're rebelling against God. And you hear these words. You're like, what were they doing? That Malachi is really trying to convict them of what they're doing. What was so bad that they were doing? So Malachi is really starting broad because he's trying to get their attention. And he's saying this. We've been treating each other horribly, horribly. And now that he has their attention, he's going to move on specifically to what they've done. But understand this. When we are disloyal to one another, we are disloyal to God. Because as those who are called to be in covenant relationship with God, we are called to treat one another in the community with love. Christ did not change the message. When asked what is the greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. When we love God and we are a covenant relationship with him, then we should be called to love one another. Every other commandment really falls under those two in terms of how we relate to God and how we treat one another. And what Malachi is starting off by telling the, Israel people, the Israelites is saying, That's how we are called to live with one another. But we are not doing that. We are treating each other faithlessly. Let's take a look at what exactly he's saying and what exactly they're doing to one another. This is 11 and 12. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What he's literally saying is encompassing the whole area, all of Judah, Israel, Jerusalem. They've been acting faithless and they've been committing abomination. We already looked at what the word faithless means, right? To act violently and faithlessly toward one another. But then he uses the word abomination. Abomination literally is a thing that causes disgust, or hatred. They have done something that causes disgust and hatred on the part of God. What have they done? They have profaned the sanctuary. Now I want you to view the sanctuary as a place where they would come and they would bring these offerings before the Lord. It was a place within the camp of Israel where it was called to be holy. Holy literally means to be set apart. So that's the sanctuary, but it can also mean like a people. see, so see, Israel was called to be set apart, holy, from the nations around them. And what he's saying in these words right here is, You have profaned the sanctuary. You have profaned that which was called to be holy. What were they doing? They were marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And they were going and they were marrying women who were not from the Israelite tribes, they were not marrying those they were marrying women who were going and worshipping false gods they were marrying people who they were called not to marry when you go back to the book of Deuteronomy it specifically says and he gave them specific direction it says you shall not intermarry with them giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. The people whom God has entered into a covenant relationship that he has called his own are now turning away from him and going after women who follow other gods. They're literally divorcing God to chase after women who follow other gods. And what the word specifically says, the word... Says you are not to do that because they will take you and you'll begin to worship other gods. They will draw you away from me. Their intermarriage with pagans. It was the same thing that got them in trouble before, and you begin to see the same thing again and again and again. They are defiling themselves by being disobedient to whom God has called them to marry solomon was one of the wisest men ever you know what his downfall was he couldn't stop going after pagan women and then you look at king ahab and king ahab's wife was jezebel she turned him away and what happens is it begins to lead to a downward spiral they begin to draw your heart away from god that is why the apostle paul as he's writing in his letter to the Corinthian people, when he says in 2 Corinthians, what he says to them is, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What he's not saying is, unbelievers are the most horrible people in the world. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you become unequally yoked, they will draw your heart away from me. I gave the example to the first group. I'm like, literally, before I was married, um, I have to honestly say that that defined much of my dating life. As somebody who was a believer, oftentimes I would say, I would meet somebody nice and say, you know, I'm looking at her heart. She has a wonderful heart. And You know what? Maybe I can turn her to the Lord. Maybe she'll come to know the Lord. And it always ended the same with. We were on two totally different paths. I saw the world in one specific way, and I was trying to see it through the eyes of Christ. And the person that I was with was seeing it in a totally different, and more often than not, they will take you down the other path and you drawing them down the path of Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, don't even go down that path. Don't even go down that path. What has righteousness to do with lawlessness? They will draw you away, so don't even go down that path to start with. The problem is, it's the priests that are doing this now. It's the one whom he has called to represent the people before himself. They are going down that path. You see, it's not about racial exclusivity. What God is trying to do is he's trying to protect the covenant people from idolatry. They will pull you away. That's what he's telling them. And he's saying and and judgment applies to everybody. You will be cut off. Applies to everyone who marries a pagan, pagan, even though you appear to be faithful and a generous worshiper of God. What does he mean? They were bringing their offerings before the Lord, trying to appear to be faithful, trying to appear to be religious. In the meanwhile, they're doing this thing. They thought that just by appearing to be faithful and to be appearing to do these things, that that made them right and okay with God. And what God is saying is, I see your. heart It's the same thing with us too, is where, have you ever had the experience before where you have willfully sinned against God and you come to church and you're trying to sing the song and you're trying to praise and you're trying to worship and in in your mind you're like on the outside I can appear very holy and very faithful but on the inside God knows exactly what I'm doing and I feel very convicted right now. And That's what they were doing. They thought that they can continue to bring these offerings before the Lord and still continue to do this stuff right here. And God is saying, no, anybody, judgment will be for those who are committing this abomination and are going and continuing to bring offerings and continuing to appear to be faithful and and devout worshipers of God. You see what he's showing right here is it's the priests and the people, but the priests are the ones who are committing this abomination that he's called them not to do. And that's the first thing that he says right there. And then he moves to the second let's look at verses 13 through 15 it says this and it says and this is the second thing you do you cover the lord's altars with your tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand but you say why does he not because the lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. You see, not only were they going and they were marrying pagan women, but what he says, they were leaving their wives to do it. They were divorcing the wives, the wife of their youth. They were divorcing those wives and going and now marrying pagan women. They were leaving the covenant relationships that they had before the eyes of God and going and doing this. And then what they were doing was they were coming to the altar with their tears and they were weeping, and they were trying to offer sacrifices, thinking that this would make it okay with God. And God says, I don't regard your sacrifices, because I know that your tears are not because you're sorry for what you did. Your tears are you're sorry for you're going to lose your position and your status. God understands and he knows the heart. So even though we sometimes will try to fool him with our faithfulness, and the appearance of God, he knows our hearts. And even though they have tears, he's like, I don't regard your offerings because I know your heart is not there. You have gone and you have acted this way with your, wife's, your wife of your youth the one with whom you had first affections, the one who you were in love with, the one who you are a companion with in the eyes of God, you are just getting rid of her, you are discarding her, and now going off after these women who follow pagan gods. Marriage relationship is a covenant. It is a covenant relationship that mirrors God's covenant faithfulness to us. It mirrors God's covenant faithfulness to us. Both people are literally leaving their past and starting a new future with one another. Divorce breaks the covenant that we've made with our spouse in the eyes of God and in the presence of God. And unfortunately today, oftentimes divorce is a first option. When times get hard, Our first thought is, how do I get out of this? How do I get out? This person isn't for me. I made a mistake. Let me get out of this. And that's what we think. And that's what Malachi is showing right there. Is they're going and they're getting rid of it. They're trying to get out of their relationships with the wife of their youth to start these new ones. This person will make me happy right here. This is what will make me happy. And God is like, not so fast. The covenant relationship mirrors him. And he's how he has come to us and called us into a relationship with himself. Now you understand when you look through the Old Testament, oftentimes God's anger at the people because he's entered into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel, and so often they've turned their back from him, yet he never leaves them. That's how our marriages reflect his covenant faithfulness and the covenant faithfulness he had to the people of Israel. And what he's saying right there is the plan for marriage is between a husband and a wife. And the reason why is a proper environment for raising godly offspring. It's in that environment that we can raise truly godly offspring. You see, the problem is when we go and we begin to marry people who are not believers, we now are raising kids who have a mix of beliefs. They don't know what to believe because one person believes this, other person believes this. And you can understand the message that it shows the kids. But it's it's important that if we are in a relationship with another believer in marriage, we can raise children to know the Lord and to love God the Lord. And what he says is, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? That a marriage is not just about a physical arrangement or a physical relationship. It is a spiritual union also. It is much bigger than we can ever imagine. What God is saying is, protect this union. Guard yourselves in the Spirit. Guard yourselves from anything that can come against your marriage. And take heed to guard yourselves to protect the one whom God has given you as a companion. You see, God hates divorce. Why? Because it breaks a solemn vow that we have made with our spouse. And it is harmful to both people. You listen to some of the stories, what happens in divorce, and you can see how it harms both. And when a man, specifically in this scripture right here, when a man divorces his wife... He covers it with violence. What does that mean? A garment, to cover one with a garment literally meant like protection and love. And what you're now doing is the same person that you were called to protect and love, you are now covering with violence. This is how God views divorce. Literally, what he's saying in these scriptures, in these verses, marriage is holy to God. It is a covenant relationship That is God's institution, and it mirrors God's covenant covenant relationship with his people and is a way to produce godly offspring. And what the priests were doing was they were divorcing the wife of their youth, divorcing their wives to go and to marry idolatrous women. They were joining that which was holy, that which is unholy. God loves marriage. He loves it. He loves it for what it displays about his relationship with him and us. He loves it for how it benefits a man, a woman, and their children. And he loves it for the good that it does in society. You know the interesting about the, the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire wasn't defeated from outside. The Roman Empire was defeated from what was inside. And divorce was rampant. Society was beginning to break down because people were breaking the covenant relationship and we start to see the same thing today so how are we called to protect our marriages you know the apostle paul when he writes his letter to the church in ephesus he begins to give us an idea of how we are called to be in this relationship and what he says is husbands love your wives as christ loves the church now women and wives we can love our husbands the same way too. We are called to love as Christ loves the church. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one one flesh and he says this mystery is profound and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church what he's saying is this is a profound mystery but it's so much deeper and bigger than you ever thought you see oftentimes we look at marriage as an arrangement and it's an arrangement of two people for whatever reasons but what he's saying is no marriage is a reflection of christ and the church what he's saying is it's not just an arrangement marriage points to someone you're the interesting thing is where did Jesus do his first miracle? He did it at a wedding. shows the importance of marriage. Marriage reflects Christ's love for the church. It reflects Christ's love for the church. It reflects Christ's union to the church. And it reflects his faithfulness to the church. And we see that all exemplified in the cross. We see Christ's love for the church. Why? Because he gave his, only, he gave his life and went to the cross for us. We see Christ's union to the church and the fact that he was in covenant relationship with us. And we see Christ's faithfulness to us as as many times as people turned away from him, he always remained faithful to them. And we see this exemplified in the life of Christ and when he died for us. And when Christ died and rose again and we received the free gift of salvation from him, it's Christ who lives in us to change me into his image to reflect him. That's how I can love my wife as Christ loved the church. Not because Keith is a better lover, because Christ is living in and through me and changing the way that I view her and that I relate to her and how I really relate to everybody else. You see, divorce is about sin. Sin. Divorce is about sin because it's breaking a covenant that was made in the eyes of God, and it portrays Christ as abandoning his church and us abandoning him. That's why God hates divorce so much. So then the question is, well, what does that mean for us? Because I realize when you preach something like this, you have so many different people that have so many different experiences when it comes to this right here. Well, here's the first takeaway, and this I'm addressing specifically to those who are not married. Do not marry unbelievers. Not because they're horrible people. Because you're looking at the world in two different ways. You're looking at the world in two different ways and from two different perspectives. And what he's saying is, more than not, you will be drawn away from God as opposed to that person being drawn to Christ. Now, if you are married to somebody who is not a believer, stay married. Stay married. Because it's through you that that person can come to know Christ. So we ask the question, Lord, help me to reflect you. Live your life through me for my spouse who does not know you, that I am called to love them in that way. So that's the first thing that we, the second is this, and this is very, very profound. Marriage is hard. Marriage is extremely hard. What he's saying is, take heed of the Spirit. Protect your marriage. And get rid of anything that can go against your marriage. We want to live lives through the Spirit that glorifies God and that helps us become like Christ. Because marriage really helps us become more Christ like. You will see in marriage things that you never thought you had in you. And when you have your spouse, your wife, or your husband, they will bring out things, not that's their intention or their bad, but it brings out things that you never knew were there. It's to make you continually, to change you into the image of Christ. That's one of the reasons why we look at today and today's society tells you, man, if you want to just shack up with somebody, it's okay. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing because you're not entering into a covenant arrangement. And that's a very easy arrangement to say, you know what? I can't take anymore. I'm out. It falls well short of what God is saying right here. You see, Christ didn't look at us as someone he was just going to shack up with. Christ said, no, I am in a covenant relationship with you and I'm willing to go to the cross because a shacking up Jesus would have said, the cross, no thank you, I'm out. And that's not what Christ did. Christ reflects marriage because he says, I'm in it and I'm staying in this covenant and I'm going to die and give my life to you. So protect your marriage. Protect your marriage. The third, God hates divorce. He hates it for what it does to people, for what it does to relationships, for what it does to those involved, for what it does to the children involved. He hates divorce because also how it reflects on him and that's why when the question was asked of jesus about divorce jesus said you see it was never so he allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts so they talk about divorce is allowed in cases of sexual immorality then paul goes on further to say that divorce is allowed in the case in which you have one unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse and the unbelieving spouse deserts the believing spouse then you can get divorced but it's never recommended God never says, get a divorce. What he says is his heart is always for repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation from marriage because that's exactly what it was with us. Forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation. But let me just say this. For those who have been divorced, for those who have been divorced, there is nothing that you have done that cannot be forgiven from Christ. Christ loves you and he died for you even if you have committed divorce. That you can still move forward in freedom and the forgiveness that only Christ can give you too. And that right there is really good news. That we don't have to live according to our path. That we can live now in the forgiveness that Christ gives us. And lastly, I say most importantly, make Christ the center of your marriage. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, living in and through you, changes you into Christ. And I can relate to my wife, my life relates to me, as Christ does. And it changes us. You see, when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we accept the free gift of salvation, we become more like Him. He helps us through those difficult times. We can come to him and we begin to show the world truly what marriage is about and when we do that we show the world god's love god shows himself to the world through the way that we love one another in our covenant relationship with one another we reflect him make christ the center of your marriage You see, it's marriage and the covenant of marriage that God has given us that answers the question that we ask, God, how have you loved us? He's given us marriage. He's given us a covenant relationship with one another that reflects his covenant relationship and Christ's covenant relationship with us. And we can go and love one another the way that he loves us. You guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, preaching a message like this is always tough because uh, as people, as broken people, God, we come from so many different perspectives. We come from so many different um, histories in our past, Father. But um, first and foremost, Lord, we know that what Christ has done on the cross applies for all of us who are willing to Accept that free gift of salvation, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we are not defined by our past, but we are defined how you see us, Father. Lord, I want to start off by lifting in prayer those who are married, Father. I pray that they would seek you, and we pray that they would seek you, Father, to know you and to fall in love with you and to be changed by you, that we would treat our spouses with a the way that Christ loves the church. Lord, change us into your image and help us to experience this beautiful gift that you've given us, Lord. Lord, we also want to lift up in prayer those, Lord, who are married to an unbeliever, Lord. Change us into your image so that we may reflect Christ to our unbelieving spouse, that they would know you as their Lord and Savior also, Father. So we lift them up for prayer. Father, we pray for those right now who also have been divorced, Lord, it's, it's, it's harmful to us and it hurts, God. But the good news, Lord, is what Christ is, what you've done on the cross is you've forgiven us for that. When we receive your free gift of salvation, Lord, that we don't have to be defined by somebody who is divorced, but somebody who is a new creation in Christ, Father. Thank you so much for that, Lord. We pray for those who are not married. Lord, we pray, help us to follow and to seek your will, Lord, to know somebody as our spouse who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, because we know it just saves years of heartache and pain. And lastly, is for those who do not recognize Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want to give you an opportunity this morning to enter into that covenant relationship with Christ, to be changed by who He is and what He's done for us and to allow Him to live in and through you, to experience the love, not as the world says, love, but as you, God, who are love, that we can experience love as you are love, Father. I just want to give you an opportunity for those who do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior to... to to receive the free gift of salvation this morning and just simply follow this and and, and say this prayer right there in your seat. Say, Dear Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I do recognize that I've lived my whole life apart from you and I've disobeyed you, but I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died and rose again for me. Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my life in your name i pray jesus amen you guys with all heads bowed and all eyes closed if you prayed that prayer this morning just ask that you would raise your hand just raise your hand thank you thank you you guys we just want to take this time now to move and and it's an opportunity to reflect on what christ has done and we're going to do that by taking the lord's supper this morning and um, this is really for people who proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a way to remember what Christ has done. So if you have received the free gift of salvation, I'm going to ask that you would, uh, in a moment, stand and come down the aisle um, and participate in Lord's Supper. If you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to ask that you to stay in your seat and just reflect on the message today what god was saying specifically to you but before we get started i want to just read this right here and it says in first corinthians 11 paul was was explaining this to the corinthian church and what he says is for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes i want to invite our ushers to come up who are helping to serve the lord's supper and you guys as the band plays i ask that you would in your seats reflect on christ reflect on what he's done come before him and ask for forgiveness and repentance for anything that may have turned us away for him and we reflect on that before we come up and partake in what we call the Lord's supper.